3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, Zoya. How are you? I'm very well, Jenny. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been, I've just, I mean, I've just come off the newsreel actually and like heard all the stuff about the mandatory masks and the COVID cases and everything, but yeah, it's been pretty hectic. Yeah, yeah. So um, you're listening to this Tuesday morning. Masks are going to be mandatory from 11.59 on Wednesday night. Um, I mean, obviously, as a public health response, this seems pretty logical. But uh, you know, I guess we all need to get crafting now with our with our masks. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. And even just like the etiquette for masks, like don't I see a lot of people they're walking around, they're touching their masks and like adjusting mm. their mask. And I actually think that makes it like negligible that you're wearing one. So if you are wearing one, just you know, make sure your hands are not around your mask everything but yeah it's yeah really weird I feel like it just gets quite <laughs> yeah quite humid in that area as well <laughs> and just like I, I, <laughs> yeah I have a I have a friend who smokes and uh she said that she feels like she might need to quit smoking now because when she smells her yeah. smoker's breath she's like oh okay yeah that's absolutely. what other people smell right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is quite funny I don't know I, I, I like that what you said just then about etiquette around masks like I can kind of see you know this whole new way in which we interact with people and the and the politeness of the different things that we might have to do and and just yeah. from a from a I guess a, a you know from a point of interest just thinking about how people are going to interact with each other not, not in a negative way either just just how we might shift how we socialize and how we interact is pretty mm. it's pretty cool and interesting in some ways so maybe someone will come out with a mask etiquette book or blog yeah. Well, yeah, there's a money maker right there. Yeah, I feel like you feel a bit, you feel a bit more despondent just because, like, even I was in the supermarket the other day and I had my headphones in and I had my mask on and I was like, I just feel so out of touch. <laughs> like, actually being in this like space and being at the supermarket, like, I could just be anywhere. Just like, just yeah. like covering up some part of your, like, your mouth, which is such a pivotal part of like communicating to people and like judging how people are reacting and stuff it's just like changes everything <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna really learn how to read how to read eyes which I think is pretty cool I was I was having this joke with some friends the other day and uh we were talking about um masks and how everyone wearing them has really shown that the concept of superheroes hiding their identity through masks is completely false like <laughs> Batman <laughs> Everyone would have recognized Batman. I mean, I can yeah. recognize people from their eyes really, really easily. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. <laughs> they all should have been wearing face masks. <laughs> exactly. Like Spider-Man, the only person who I think had yeah. the, right, the right thing going for it with, yeah. uh, with yeah. that superhero mask. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even absolutely. then, you know, his voice. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, for sure. I saw even the other day they had, I think they would try to invent, I think they were mostly, it's, it's really good they're inventing them for um, uh, the deaf so they can actually, because for a lot of deaf people, they can't, you know, they require lip reading and they require um, being able to see your mouth. So they were, um, there were some that had like the clear, like clear mouth. And so you could, like, you could see your mouth, but like the rest of it was like mask. Mm, mm. But, yeah. Oh. Yeah. How are, how are people going to go with this? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool in some ways as well. So, you know, mm. I, I like the fact that people are trying to find these solutions. Um, yeah. Except for some ridiculous ones. I saw one where it's like, this mask has a hole in it so that you can have a drink with a straw. <laughs> it's like, that defeats the object. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I did see a mesh one as well, actually. I think it was an independent store had <laughs> decided to make these mesh ones. and was like, e- uh, breathe easy. like. The- <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, so I guess this is by way of just saying, you know, for those people out there who haven't yet... Um, sorted out what they're doing for their mask situation have a think about the material that you're using and there are some great tutorials out there for making your own masks you can find them online they're you know if in doubt um you know they're saying that even just some layers of cloth are good enough yeah. but there are added things you can use like coffee filters and that kind of thing that, that, that can help i mean obviously i'm not an expert so please don't quote me but if you um find some reputable sources online there are ways to create one without having to spend an exorbitant amount of money, which is, which is really, really good and valuable. Definitely. And um, I would veer away also from the disposable ones as well. If you can use like a reusable one, cause like the amount mm. of just like masks that you see floating around on the street now that people have just like chucked or chucked in the bin, like it would be great. Yeah. If, yeah you could use some more reusable ones as yeah. well. Yeah. Those disposable ones are more beneficial for people who are constantly in contact with healthcare Definitely. workers, frontline workers, that kind of thing. But going into a shop, you know, yeah. it's, it's been shown that even just something as simple as a cloth covering can make a difference. So yeah. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, so that's that's our that's our regular COVID discussion, which I'm sure we're all getting rather tired of, and I promise that won't be our conversation <laughs> every morning. Um, I'm actually very excited, Genevieve, because this is the first time that we're having this conversation. I know. Um, I was doing the introduction. Yeah, I was going to say like I've only ever well, no, I've spoken to you of course outside. I've <laughs> only ever done it with only ever done it with Madison, so this is nice. Yeah, super fun. Um, and so on that note. What do we have coming up on the show? Yeah, um, so to, uh, today, well, yeah, today, um, we, uh, for alternative news, I've yeah, decided to actually veer away from um, COVID talk as well. And I've actually done my alternative news on meditation. So kind of like mm. an investigation about meditation. I, I, it has been in the headlines, obviously, due to the fact that everyone's in lockdown, but like kind of exploring the different ways that people um, use meditation and obviously why it has many, many health mm. benefits. Um, but apart from that, I'm doing um, an interview with Kate Robinson and Kate Robinson is a family violence lawyer and she's actually the uh, feminist resident at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. And she's um, going to talk to us about a craft initiative that she's doing um, and it's going to be on display at the Queen Vic Market. Oh, not Market, sorry. The Queen Victoria Women's Centre. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that so twice. <laughs> and I actually said it to her as well. And I've just said, yeah. <laughs> oh, that Queen Victoria 
is giving her name to too many things. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Empowering colonialism, making life <laughs> difficult for us radio producers. Yes. <laughs> On top of that, we have something rather exciting. Uh, for people who have been longtime listeners of Tuesday Breakfast, they may remember the amazing Lauren Bull, who was a previous host a little bit before I started and is an utter hero and she has actually jumped back on board and she is doing an interview with Carly Dober who is a psychologist and climate activist who's going to talk about how activism in this sort of time um, can come with burnout and that sort of stuff and tips for navigating that so I think that'll be a really valuable listen and, and tie in quite nicely with uh, your meditation on meditation yeah and definitely so, I think that'll be pretty cool. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then I had a wonderful conversation with Leila Yakubi, who is a volunteer at Road to Refuge. Road to Refuge are these, this fantastic organization that works with refugees and asylum seekers to use creative storytelling to help them sort of tell their story and use that as a means to advocate for themselves and for their communities and for the rights of refugees. It's a really, really cool initiative. Um, Leila is a nursing student and volunteer and is just such an awesome person she's 19 years old and when she told me she was 19 I was like what what was I doing when I was 19 I was not advocating the stuff and telling my story I was you know probably listening to really bad mid-2000s music and you know <laughs> eating terrible terrible student food so yeah I, that's um, pretty cool I've heard a little bit of snippet from um, your interview with Layla she sounds incredibly well spoken incredibly well spoken I'm I'm deeply intimidated when I speak yeah. to young people <laughs> these days. I, I think that's that's a sign of me getting old now. Am I? Am I? Oh no! Am I becoming a Karen? Oh, no, 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 no offense <laughs> no. to people who are getting who are older than me or who are called Karen. But uh, yeah, it's it's quite funny now to be scared of teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> anyway, that is enough chattering from us for now. Um, Again, in the words of the fantastic Madison Griffiths, stay mm. safe, look after yourselves, have a fantastic week, and I hope you enjoy the show. I generally vent from the ventricle, trust the aorta to dispense what is sensible. In a world where the truth is unmentionable, I tiptoe with my tap shoes, my black views are not identical, are very welcome like Van Helsing at the Vatican, kicking that rap again. Blurting out that I'm African and so are some of you, but you'd rather cup your ears and sing Xanadu. I guess the challenge the world could damage you, and really rip through the flesh like a cannibal. Wipe the slate clean, proceed to daydream. Wipe the slate clean, proceed to daydream. Yes, the blue skies occasionally turn grey. Yes, we Calculate your age by your birthday But we also love ourselves in the worst way Man and womankind flawed from the first day
Young world, before you say hey, let's hold up. Spreadsheets and see the way things fold up. It's been a minute, yes indeed, so you're older. Is there a big fat chip on your shoulder? Take care before it becomes a boulder. An avalanche, an aroma that can leave you stuck in a coma. Many lessons, many teachers in life. Some of us never graduate with that diploma. Or even make it to the next phase. We celebrate days and weeks and months and years. Should we celebrate sweat and a bunch of tears? In a world where your rubber stamp worthless. From the beginning, got to go and find your purpose. Nobody's grinning, the winner never seems nervous. Life is not just a moment, it's a skillful opponent that you have to fight or learn to just roll with. These are weird days. Many of my days are weird days, actually, but these are weirder than most. It can be a bit of a seismic shock to wake to the news of daily tolls here and in other countries, to spend week after week separated from friends and family, hour on hour, of many of us just within our own homes. But through all of this, we are also seeing so much to inspire hope. People are creating incredible networks of mutual aid, Gardens are thriving from all that lockdown attention. 
We are finding new ways to slow, connect and reflect. Artists are creating, kids are learning differently and activists are imagining and collaborating on new futures beyond this time. And 3CR is continuing to broadcast throughout this coronavirus remotely. Who knows how long this will have us all locked down, but don't let it get you down. Tune in and love up your community. Stay connected. Work for what has to be a better future ahead. Thanks, CR, for staying steady on the waves. Good morning. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, and it's time for another segment of Alternative News. So the past week, I know it's been tough to ignore the quite, let's be honest, harrowing COVID-19 case numbers being squawked at us by the media. We are locking down when it feels like the rest of the world is opening up and it's tough to register and it's okay to feel a little disheartened. There is a lot of things happening that seem so far out of our control and many people, including myself, have been seeking out a way to bring some calm into our wandering minds. There has actually been a new term coined uh, called doom scrolling, where just by logging onto your social medias and news sites, it can seem like it's only bad news. Yet you still scroll, fueling the idea that the world is now awful and will never be the same. It's addictive this binging on doom and gloom content. And it has become an avenue to drive an excessive amount of energy and stress that would actually usually be dispersed amongst other activities and socializing. Ultimately, the activity can take a toll on your mental health. But just like any behavior, there are ways to break the cycle, to assure yourself that actually, no, we are not all in fact doomed. Searches for meditation practices and meditation courses are at an all-time high. As our busy lives have followed us into our homes with work, school, kids, meditation offers us a space to breathe and slows our mind. But as I'm sure many of you would know, meditation is hard. The act of stillness is really hard. And I think in a world where you're constantly judged on performance and success, meditation can seem like a failure to those who have tried it and not felt that instant calm that they may have expected. And I know for me personally, when someone tells me to take deep breaths, I sometimes simultaneously roll my eyes as if I'm saying to myself, yeah, tried that and it doesn't work. Although that only highlights a misconception with meditation, that if you're doing it correctly, you should feel instantly enlightened and at peace. Expecting this and not attaining it can make you feel like you're doing it wrong. But even if you feel the tiniest bit more settled, you've achieved some level of calm and achieved some level of meditation. I want to explore some ideas about meditation to hopefully encourage you listeners to maybe not do what I've done and roll your eyes at the thought. During this time, when the world outside our houses seems livid, yet our homes and streets quiet, 
It is natural for the mind to question and speculate things that may have never occurred to us before. Give yourself some time to assure yourself it's okay. Meditation is a great tool for that. If we look back on history, meditation is everywhere. It crosses so many cultures and comes in so many forms. Humans have been using that strategy for as long as we have documented it. From Buddhist India to Taoist China to Zen Japan, spurring into Christianity and Judaism. However, it's important to note meditation does not always take the form of sitting with eyes closed and deep breathing. It can be the act of repetition, either through voice or movement, reading, running, walking, listening to music, or even cleaning. As long as attention is given to keeping the mind away from planning, daydreaming, and worrying, and instead focused on being present in the physical body. One of my favorite philosophers and a pioneer for meditation in the Western world was Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. This story actually has striking elements with the current climate, um, but back in the second century, a deadly plague broke out whilst Aurelius was emperor of Rome, ultimately killing five million people. In order to cope with the ordeal, he wrote his Meditations, where he applies Stoic philosophy to dealing with the torrent of anxiety, grief, and loss he was feeling at the time. Intrinsic to Stoicism is the importance of distinguishing what is within our control and what is out of our control. Therefore, what is worth worrying about and what isn't? Things that may happen to you are not necessarily within your control, but your thoughts and actions towards these things are. The pandemic is not within our control, but how we react towards it is. In famous words of Aurelius, he said, All that comes to pass should be as familiar as the rose in spring and the fruit in autumn, meaning times of hardship are as natural to the human condition as times of ease and happiness. So perspective about the situation can also bring us some air of calm. It's also important not to rush. Meditation takes time and it's okay if you don't get it first or second or even 50th time around. It's a process. Perfecting a central part of meditation, the breath, is something that does not quite come as naturally to a lot of us, but new research is emerging about the health benefits that the breath work can bring. There is even research suggesting breathing exercises can help alleviate the symptoms of asthma. Quality of life ratings were actually higher in UK asthma patients who underwent training in deep, slow nasal and diaphragm breathing. But relief from stress and anxiety seem to be the main attraction to breath work. One study found that anxiety levels dropped in a group of Indian medical students who underwent a six-week course of pranayama breathing exercises, while no change was seen in the control group. The pranayama group also saw increases in their heart rate variability. When we breathe in, 
our heart beats momentarily faster to speed the flow of oxygen around the body. When we breathe out, our heart slows down. Heart rate variability is the difference between these two rates, and a higher heart rate variability is seen as a marker of the body's resilience and flexibility in response to outside stimuli. Psychologist Rodrik Geristen of Leiden University in the Netherlands analyzed the physical and mental health benefits associated with contemplative activities and concluded that their common focus on breathing reduced stress by increasing the parasympathetic nervous system activity, uh, which calms and relaxes the body. He said, by slowing the breath down, your heart rate goes down. You stimulate your vagus nerve and you're telling your body it doesn't have to respond to any immediate threats. There is also the now very famous Wim Hof method, which is designed to put your body into a state of alkaline, that is rising the pH levels in your body through cycles of controlled hyperventilation, followed by exposure to intense cold and meditation. This is claimed to reduce stress, increase energy, and benefit the immune system. There are so many methods to which one you choose will all depend on what actually works for you. More importantly, there is no right way to meditate. So from Brooklyn, Tony Blackman uses her tracks to help people meditate. She says in hip hop, it's called getting open. She said to get open means that you're in a trance. You are in a zone. Your body starts to take over and you surrender to whatever's going through you. Haruki Murakami's book, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running, explores long distance running's meditative qualities where Murakami usually gets inspiration for his books and time to switch off. He describes it as a nostalgic silence and a homemade void. Another book written by Robert Persig, titled Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Riding, where on a motorcycle trip, Persig contemplates the philosophy of what concludes something to have quality. He does all this by also capturing the joys of traveling by motorcycle, such as a more direct connection to nature than in a car or on a train, and the thrill of leaning a bike through curvy backroads away from all the traffic of an interstate and the chaos of the major city. This ultimately assists him in his meditative state, concentrating purely on the road. Unfortunately, confined to our homes, we may have to compromise with how we choose to find mindfulness and meditate. There are so many resources, including books and apps, to help you get started. I think above all else, though, please be kind to yourself. These are difficult times with the upheaval of normal life and for the second time around for our Melbourne residents does take its toll in one way or another. And that's okay. Finding comfort in what you can control may help you feel more at ease with what you can't. And please, if you are struggling and need extra help, there are many ways to gain support. You can call Lifeline on 13114 or visit Headspace or the Black Dog Clinics for specialised help. You are not alone. 
Melbourne's local documentary film festival is going online and nationwide from the 30th of June until the 15th of July. Canvassing an eclectic range of documentaries from South by Southwest, Slam Dance and Tribeca to Music, video games and true crime, with over 55% locally made in Melbourne and across Australia. Check it out at www.mdff.org.au. Prices start from $8 a stream. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. by Carly Dover, who is a psychologist and climate activist. And I wanted to bring Carly on the program because she's definitely someone I've been leaning on a lot. I guess it's very selfish reasons for bringing on the program. Um, during this period, so just to situate it, Melbourne's just gone back into their second lockdown, which is really hard. Um, and obviously everything is just really overwhelming and changing really quickly and, um, I think like the word that I've been seeing the most at the moment is despair. So I thought it would be a good time to get Carly on to talk to us about what we can do about that feeling. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That was such an intro. Well, I was trying to talk to my friend this morning about, you know, he was like, elevator pitch me, like, what are you talking to this psychologist <laughs> about? And it's very stressful. Um, and I did realize that it was quite selfishly motivated, but that also um, you have a really unique skill set. So I'm really, um, really excited to hear about what you think about what we um, are talking about. That's an awful sentence. So um, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. I guess maybe a good place to start is just like, a, how are you? How are you feeling at the moment? Oh my gosh, that is just such, like, I feel attacked by you asking me <laughs> I think I, as I said before, I'm good, you know, but I feel like this year has just been a bit of a slow moving roller coaster that none of us asked to go on and it has a broken lever. So we're just going around and around and around, mm. um, yes. you know, just generally feeling more tired, sad, hopeless, but with really good things and days in between, you know, I think. Mm. We barely got over the Australia bushfires and now the, a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I've been seeing people talking about the second lockdown and sort of identifying that there was some novelty in the first that made it kind of kept it a bit light. Um, and mm. I feel like the longer this stuff goes on, the more it just begins to like wear us down, maybe. That's 100%. Right, you know, I can empathise with that myself. You know, I feel, as you said, there was like, you know, sourdough, there were little trends that everyone was doing. You know, things were new, Zoom meetings were new, trivia online was new, mm. all this stuff was new. And we were making the best of a really shitty situation that no one had ever lived. When Generally, we didn't live like that before. So now we know what it's like, we know how it feels different, we know how it's fatiguing, and even though it's only six weeks, it's confronting I think yeah so the fatigue thing is interesting because I remember at the beginning of the first lockdown you identified to me why I was just so exhausted um you told me that mm. it was something called change fatigue and I'd be interested for you to expand on that a bit totally so 
um, it's an organizational business term really that kind of stemmed from, you know, when you have change saturated businesses that have, you know, new managers every three months, you know, new systems, new procedures every three months, it's been shown to negatively impact um, employee well-being. So change is everywhere. It bombards us from all directions. You know, political upheaval, complex regulatory requirements are examples of this outside of the workplace. Um, and also the level of connectivity we have, you know, we're always on our phones, we're always contactable. So mentally that can wear people down. Um, so change fatigue essentially is when there is so there is such rapid change that it overloads your brain. It's too much. You know, you're constantly recalibrating and what you're recalibrating to is so different to what it was a week ago or a month ago and it can really exhaust people. Mm. And so I sort of thought like when we first started talking about that, it was really, um, you know, the whole world was grappling with everything having really just changed so significantly. Like, as you said, the fires straight into the pandemic and it was just almost like um, we were in shock mode, but it didn't seem like it was going to be like a long term thing. But then mm. obviously other social issues have started to really come to the forefront and I guess I'm thinking primarily of like the Black Lives Matter movement that's just really kind of come again to the forefront and has really taken off um, Mm. in America obviously after the murder of George Floyd and also in Australia Um, but also thinking about like what does climate activism look like in this where this pandemic is going to be the long term and so I guess Mm. I guess I'm wondering or I want to talk to you I want to pick your brain about if we're already so fatigued, how do we be effective activists and how do we be responsive and, and stand in solidarity with things if we're worn down? Like, what does that look like? Oh, that is such a great question. I think um, first and foremost, it's about understanding, and this took me a long time to like learn and realise that Activism, you know, whatever you're most engaged by is a marathon and it's not a sprint. You know, you and I, we've been like going to protests for ages. Um, and I think when you start getting engaged and you start really tapping into these communities, you're like, I want to do it all. I want to do it all yesterday. And you can't, you know, because you will burn out. You'll throw yourself into it and it'll spit you out. You'll become disengaged and then the cause will actually lose you. So I think it's um, scheduling time when and where you can and really having that self-insight to be like, hey, maybe this week I'm actually not travelling okay. I need to fill my cup first before I attend to these broader social issues that truly will not be solved tomorrow, which sucks because we're all, we all want the environment to actually be prioritised. We all want, you know, human rights, black rights, women's rights to be prioritised. But these realistically could be you know decades more that we have to fight you know given how we've been fighting for decades so I guess it's really just knowing yourself and knowing your pace Mm. I think um I hate this phrase like not not to be devil's advocate or whatever but (laughs) so generally speaking love that approach and I'm grateful for my fellow activists, you included, who've really like put pressure on me to adopt that. But I remember seeing this um, like viral for the wrong reasons kind of um, post on the internet from a white woman who 
think it would have only been about a week after the murder of George Floyd, um, sort of saying, fellow white people, it's okay if you're feeling burnt out and tired, um, take a break if you need to. And I just, I guess I wonder what responsibility we have to push through and particularly like, do we have a responsibility to push through in some way? Like what, and if we are coming from a much more privileged, um, in whatever way that might look like space, do we, I don't know, should, should we be, yeah, should we be pushing through? What do you think? We, such a great question. I saw that post and I was like, ugh, um, <laughs> we absolutely need to push through, you know, take a break, but you know, it's everything in moderation. When mm-hmm. I say take a break, I don't mean, you know, you've done that whole, I've read a book, I've learned, I've unlearned thing that a lot of like wellness gurus can do. Like, no I'm shade so to white fragility. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I guess when I say, you know, take a break, like for me, what that looks like, yeah, is I will, you know, I'll sign a few petitions in the morning. I might call a you know, local member of like my state government and be like, hey, air pollution, you know, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And then that evening, I'll just watch Ozark for four hours and do nothing but just sit and watch that. So then yeah. I can recharge, be back on the horse for whatever that looks like the day after. Yeah. Maybe sometimes the break will be a bit longer. You know, I do know that my mental health was significantly impacted during the bushfire season and I didn't even realise it myself like looking back I can see it but I remember very vividly my partner was in the kitchen and I was like why aren't you more engaged like very frenetic and he was like I think you need to chill out and I was like no you can't say that to me Mm. but um you know I could have taken a break then I could have taken a couple of days off but I just couldn't and it's to the detriment of yourself and the cause um but we absolutely have a responsibility to push through you know it is only with being uncomfortable that the status quo will change for the better. Yeah. We can't, we cannot afford to go on cruise control. Yeah. Oh my God, I love that. I love that analogy. Um, I'm really sorry about the bushfire season that um, it sounds like you were in that, that quite awful space you get into where you're like, why isn't everybody else as like as permanently on this as I mm. am? And like, how can life be continuing as normal? while this, whatever this X, Y, Z thing is going on. Absolutely. And I think Mm. because it was so like visceral, you know, I couldn't, we couldn't even go outside to, Mm. you know, do the things I would like to do to keep myself well. I go for a walk, like the air was poison. And I remember vividly talking to you, we were on a rooftop bar Mm. and we were like, how are people still going to work? Like how is the whole country not just up in arms about this? And I think we also underestimate how compliant people, humans can generally be especially australians but um yeah you know looking back i can see the impact but um at the time you know you're just so enmeshed in it so it's it's tricky it's still a practice that i'm you know getting to know as well Mm. and so maybe taking a step back from like global crises for a moment um (laughs) part of the other reason that i i wanted to speak to you particularly about this is um you know, I think we've bonded over a lot of commonalities, but one thing is that our life experiences really drive our social justice kind of advocacy and activism there. Um, and I'm interested in, you know, I think we all have different coping strategies around kind of not re-traumatizing ourselves or not, um, 
you know, putting ourselves in situations where we're going to be harming ourselves in order to try and be good or responsive advocates or activists. Um, but you have the added benefit of being a psychologist. So I'm interested in, in kind of what your, what your view of that is. And, you know, is it possible, firstly? Um, and if so, how do you kind of achieve that balance? I think balance looks different day to day, you know what I mean? And I think it all comes back to being as honest and self-aware as you can in the moment. You know, there are some days where I can absolutely throw myself into a whole day of protesting and then be energised and want more and more and more, you know, be playing the next one. And there are some days when, you know, for whatever reason, like work was very, very hectic, there's stuff going in my family, um, you know, I'll go to a protest and I'll be very fatigued and I'll have to go home and just kind of switch things off for a few hours. So I think um, having that core, like the pillars of health and the pillars of mental health are always sleep, diet, exercise. So if you can kind of have a good grasp on those, you know, you're pretty well set to take on a lot of things, which is easier said than done, I do know. Mm. Um, If you have, you know, people in your circle who can understand, I think that's a big help as well you know sometimes you know like I remember protests I've been with you where we can just look at each other and be like this is so horrible you get it I get it okay yeah you know so I think a tight social circle with people who understand um and also scheduling fun I know it sounds so silly and it sounds so surreal like what is fun in 2020 Mm. but I think if you can also you know, laugh about stupid things, like send the stupidest memes to your friends and not always have everything turn into a deep philosophical discussion. I think that's very important as well. Mm. Like try and find the light where you can because it's dark out there. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely so true. Yeah. I think Yeah. You have to hold on to that. Definitely. And I think I would also say just um to in the spirit of mental health um everything in moderation i think i have also caught myself in the trap some days of just getting caught in the update hole you know we know that until there's a vaccine or treatment numbers will increase and there will be more deaths so how helpful is it really to be connected to the news for hours on end you know it's not that Mm -hmm. can really impact your mental health and your mood and your well-being so be informed as much as you need to, to be able to act accordingly and to plan for your health and safety and your loved ones. But yeah, I would limit it. Yeah, I like that. And then you're conserving your energy for other things that may be, you know, a, a, a preferable or better use of your your limited resources. That's right. Or even just to, you know, use your time a bit wiser you know if you haven't been feeling that good you know what will be better for you to be stuck to the news for four hours and just mindlessly scrolling or to watch the news for half an hour become informed and then you know call a friend up or go for your state sanctioned walk or to watch a film you know what i mean state sanctioned um... walk i can't cope with it (laughs) but yes i 100 percent agree with that and like genuinely sometimes just deactivate your social media accounts i reckon just yeah yeah 100%. And if you you can, like, even turn your phone off for one hour and just truly be uncontactable. You know, if you have that luxury to, you know, know that, you know, your friends and family are generally safe, it's okay to turn your phone off for an hour. I really encourage that practice. Try it. It's chef's kiss, you know. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, so is there anything else that I've missed that you wanted to say um, at all in relation to this? I don't think so. I just think I'm, you know, broadly in awe. And so um, I feel so much love and care for every activist and everyone who's learning more and more and who's challenging, I guess, the status quo and is choosing to be, you know, engaged during a global pandemic because everything is more fatiguing this year. Everything takes so much more effort this year. So to continue to push and try and get social justice or environmental rights, like um, my deep respect to you, you know, keep it up. We need you. Can 
Isolated, quarantined, need some essentials but can't leave the house? Or just having a hard time dealing with everything at the moment? Queer Aid NAM is a new mutual aid group of organized volunteers. We're here, we're queer, and we've got your back. Whether or not that's how you identify, nobody should be suffering because capitalism or the state didn't provide what they needed. That's why we're working to strengthen our communities through solidarity. Put in a request for help and we'll match you with a volunteer in your area who can either pick up groceries or other essentials for you, help you run errands, cook meals for you, or check in with how you're going. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, or if you want to join the volunteer list, find us on queeraidmelbourne.org or search for us via Facebook. COVID-19 Queer Aid Nam Melbourne. So tell your family and your friends and don't forget your neighbours. That's QueerAidMelbourne.org, a 3CR supporter. This week, Zoe interviewed Layla Yukubi. Layla is a nursing student and a volunteer at Road to Refuge, an organisation that supports refugees and asylum seekers to use creative storytelling as a means to advocate for themselves and their communities. I'm speaking with Leila Yakubi, who is a volunteer at Road to Refuge. Good morning, Leila. How are you? Good morning, Zoya. I'm good. How are you? I'm very, very well. I am quite happy sitting here recording this, looking outside and going, oh, there's actually some sunshine. I am pleased with this because there's been some rain around and about for the for the past few weeks. Yeah, um, Melbourne. <laughs> yeah Melbourne. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so you're here to talk about Road to Refuge. Before we do that, um, would you just like to introduce yourself, who you are? Um, so my name is Layla. I am 19. Um, I am a second year nursing student and I do volunteer work with organization. Um, my passion is to give voices to women and girls around the world um, to amplify their stories and their voices because I don't think they're heard in the media a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm just passionate about education and access to healthcare, And that's why I do what I do and work with this um, organization like Road to Refuge makes me so happy. <laughs> and on that note, what exactly is Road to Refuge? Um, so Road to Refuge is an organisation um, that provides a platform and training for people with refugee backgrounds and people seeking asylum to amplify their voices. So we do this by sharing their lived experience in the form of creative storytelling. That's fantastic. And how long has it been going on? When, when was the organization started? It started in 2012. 
Um, and it started to, the main aim was to make a difference. Um, as you know, Zoya, there's a negative perception um, in portrayals about refugees in the media. Uh, we often see political actors in the media um, actively harming people, seeking refuge by silencing our voice. So the main aim of Road to Refuge and how it came together was to change the narrative and give um, our people the voice that they deserve. So on that note, what are some of the things that Road to Refuge does to achieve that goal of raising the voices of refugees? Um, so Road to Refuge have campaigns that they run every year and a lot um, that um, basically provides like training and supporting people and giving platforms. So we have different campaigns that focus on different stuff. One of our campaigns is in my own words, which I was a participant for this year. Um, and that one focus on um, training um, our young um, refugees and asylum seekers and how can they form their own story together. Mm, and we'll get on to in my own words in a second. Um, before we do, um, Right now, you're a volunteer with Road to Refuge. What do you, what's your role with them? Uh, my role at the moment is just a participant in my own words campaign. Mm. Um, so this year, I, we did it through Zoom meeting. I was, um, we did workshops where uh, we had guest speakers talking about different um, topics. One of the topics were like advocacy. We, we focused on messaging and uh, representation in the media and how that all manifests with refugee rights. And we kind of, we had training to form our story together basically. And just to given us an idea of how we want to amplify our voices in the best way in, in, in our own words and in our own terms. Mm. And why did you decide to take part in this sort of creative storytelling program? Um, I decided um, because I've always like, I've always been not really proud of being a refugee and a um, refugee. So I found out Road to Refuge exists and I wanted to learn how I can use my story to um, make a, a difference in the community that we are in and make a difference in the world. So I, and I had no training at the start. I, I knew that I have lived experience, but I had no idea how to um, tell my story in the best way and who to tell it to. So in my own words taught me um, how to go all about that, how to form my story together, which was great. <laughs> it sounds fantastic. And and on that note, you mentioned that that you took part in some Zoom meetings that spoke about media representation and, and, and various things. What exactly did the program consist of and what was sort of what did what was the end product? I suppose I hate using that word product. That sounds awful. But, you know, what was what was the um, end goal of it? The end goal of it, it was to ask participants to kind of come in terms with ourselves of how we want to tell our story. So we did, um, we, we do it through creative storytelling. So it could be through photography, videography, through a short film, um, through artworks or any form that we want. And what basically this campaign does is encourages us to tell our story, but say it in our own words and um, basically in our own terms. So we are... So we learn where to tell our story and it gives us, provides us platforms in the future. I know with COVID, it's been a bit rough. Um, we haven't had chances with cultural institutions to go and tell our stories to. Um, but I think in the future, probably next year and the years to come after this pandemic goes away, we can have the chance to actually go and give up, tell our story to an audience. 
Yes, for sure. Um, and how did it feel going through that process of putting your story together? What was it? What was what was the what was that experience like? For me, it was a really good experience. Um, as you know, I I'm, I'm young and I kind of don't know where. I have li- I've lived experience. I have you know my past, but I kind of don't. I, I at first I didn't know how to use it. At first I didn't know who to tell it to. And in the past I've done um some other work um with campaigning and volunteering, and I I basically didn't know who to tell my story to. And I've told my lived experience to people who've just walked away with just um with just uh, and for me that was coming back home and crying because. I thought that I shared too much or to whom I shared it to didn't even care. Um, so this program for me was really emotional because it taught me that I need to tell my lived experience to people who actually care and to whom actually they like to who they deserve to know. Like I'm only going to open up to people that I think is, is safe and um, deserve to know me like that. Mm, so sort of, um, owning your own story and and um having power in it i guess yeah definitely um it has also taught me not to be like to be unapologetic about mm. um my story and to not be afraid to share it um because i've always been afraid that uh you know i don't want pity um but now i know how to use my story because it is one of my strength it has become one of my strengths um after this program yeah and I mean, that, that sort of brings me to another question, which is what, what impact do you think, you know, creating and telling stories has, you know, stories like your own, but also stories more broadly? Um, I think stories have a big impact um, because uh, we in Road to Refuge believe that it takes a story to displace a story. Um, we, um, in, you know, it's, been decades where our people we there've been a negative narrative about us in the media so us going out there and telling our story in our own words and it's us who are actually saying it not someone else just reading our story just from the paper it's us saying it with full of emotions our struggles and just sharing that in full depth um it it creates a change it impacts people like I want you to think about a time where you had a powerful story it made you to do something like maybe you donated um, or change your perception it just educates people and it, it kind of changed your perception about about us I guess and you know these facts and lived experience really have a huge impact and that's what we want to achieve um, with this program mm. absolutely <laughs> um and on the note of that program, I understand that the 2020 program for In My Own Words is finished. But like you said earlier, Road to Refuge does a number of different campaigns. At the moment, I believe um, they're working on a project to um, centre refugee voices during COVID-19. Um, could you tell us anything about that? Oh, yes. Yeah. So we have our COVID-19 program, which is called Shifting the Story, um, Centering Refugee Voices During COVID. So it's designed to make it changes during this time you know it's we come together to share our stories to advocate for change um especially during this time where you know um us a minority group may not be represented may not be looked after as much as the others during you know this pandemic so it's where we come together share our stories and we learn how to advocate for change during this time Mm, for sure and and 
on that note of advocating for change and, and, and all of that, um, what are some of the sort of future plans for the organization, you know, I guess beyond this COVID-19 project? Is there anything else that Road to Refuge is working on that we should know about? Um, so in Road to Refuge, we want to grow our program um, by building the capacity of more storytellers. So that's why we, you know, you go to our Instagram page, we go to our um, Facebook page, we're asking for um, young people um, of asylum seekers and refugees not really young people, but anyone can come and participate. We want more storytellers. We want to influence more people to come and join us. And we also focusing on providing bigger platforms. So we want to collaborate with culture institution and um, different um, safe media outlets where our participants can come and share this story and reach a wider audience. Um, so that's our future work and our goals. That sounds fantastic. Um, I'm going to have a final question just asking where everyone can find you, but I'm actually really interested. Um, what uh, way did you take in telling your story? Did you, you said it was creative storytelling and in any way you wanted to do it. What path did you choose for telling yours? Um, I want to do it through photography. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think that a picture can tell a thousand words and um, you know, I want like different so I can I included um my culture clothes because that's who I am and I'm not afraid to show where I'm actually from um so you know uh, putting different um items in one photo and it kind of tells you from where did you come from um how did you come from and where you are in life and what are you trying to portray so um that's my form so if ever I have to share my story I'll do it through photography that's great. I love that. Also, it doesn't really work on radio, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so if people want to learn more about Road to Refuge to get involved, um, you mentioned some different platforms and things like that. How can they find you and the, um, find the organization? So you can go to our um, just normal Google um, search our webpage, roadtorefeature.com. That's where we, um, our pages, you can, um, all our campaigns are there. You can all apply for any of the campaigns that you're interested in. And you can also donate, donate to support the organization. We're also across social media platforms, such as Instagram um, and Facebook. It's called Road to Refuge is where you can go in. There's heaps of videos of um, current participants in our future work and that's where you there is links as well for you to apply to our campaigns fabulous well Leila thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this um it sounds like a wonderful project I love it um, <laughs> um thank you. and have a wonderful day you too thank you so much cheers Like a double jointed limb, twist and a bend. Come 
filming episodes past week modes. The monstrous base beneath my pace be like Morse code. Slash beep, slash beep, scanners. Zero into the system, so you dupes. I'm out there with cool keep and safety and daylight. I'm toss up my throat, see you now. Futuristic vision. I'm not among loony nutcakes up on no mission. I get somewhere I fit in, cause life's too short. So you could all label me weirdo, but yo, I know it's Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Kate Robinson. Kate is the feminist in resident at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. She is a family violence lawyer with a deep passion for social justice and feminism. Today, I'm talking to her about her upcoming craftivism project titled Make a Fuss, a collection of crowdsourced feminist art from women and gender non-conforming people 
which will be housed at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. Good morning. So today we've got Kate Robinson um, and she's a family violence lawyer. She's currently the feminist resident at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre and she's here to talk to us about um, a little project she's doing called Make a Fuss. Uh, Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. All right, now let's start off um, by telling us a little bit about yourself and what ignited your passion for feminism. (laughs) So um, I guess feminism is a lifelong journey for me. Um, I think getting to be the inaugural feminist in residence has been so liberating in a way because it just gives me a space to think about these things that I've been, you know, grappling with for decades now, um, but kind of in a more formal setting. Mm. Um, I think a lot of my feminist ideals and values have really been, I guess, um, practicing in family violence has really made me think about them. Um, And I think working with women um, day in and day out um, in, in the context of such an oppressive court system um, has just made me really think about systemic oppression I guess um and discrimination and racism and yeah um so that's really pushed my feminist beliefs in a lot of ways um I think probably more from the theoretical um to the practical yeah absolutely um so there wasn't was it I mean growing up in terms of like your family did you have that feminist mother or feminist grandmother or someone that inspired you was it purely through the family the law system that really not purely really revved you up to get straight into that kind of thing? Um, I think like a lot of people, I come from like a long line of incredibly strong women. Mm. Um, So I think a lot of my feminist beliefs um, come from my upbringing, um, coming from seeing their strength and power. Um, I'm biracial and so I'm Iranian, Australian, and my mum is Iranian. Um, And... uh, so I guess it's it's from her I get not only um, the strong, powerful feminist lens but also um, a, a lot of connection to culture and things like that. Um, mm. And I'll, they're really intertwined for me. Um, yeah. So I think uh, that's kind of interesting in a way and I'm really interested in identity and biracial identity and all of that kind of yeah. thing as a result. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so definitely from her. Yeah. I think um, probably then when I went to university and I was in law school, um, uh, that's when I started thinking about it in an academic sense, feminism in an academic sense, and really thinking about what I was reading and what I was consuming. And I could see a lot of um, women in the law saying, you know, uh, you just have to work harder and you too could get to my position. And um, even as a 20-year-old, that just didn't ring true to me because I felt like law school in itself um, was a very gendered experience yeah. and the kind of traits that they were trying to, um, I guess, encourage us uh, to have and the kind of traits that they portrayed the ideal lawyer as having um, yeah, we're really gendered and this like very stereotypical masculine um, identity and what's so ironic is that in my job as a family violence lawyer, like none of that is important and like the most important thing is that I'm a nice person and, well, I think I'm a nice person, um, 
and like I'm friendly and I have emotional intelligence and all of those kinds of things and I'm surrounded by this incredible cohort of like really feminist family violence lawyers um, and practitioners, social workers, other people in the court space. Um, and what is so impressive about all of them is that they're coming with this like very feminist, trauma-informed lens um, and they're not trying to be another suit and another person speaking to someone in the middle of a crisis in this like very jargonistic legal language. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's not, a, there's still not enough emphasis on emotional intelligence, especially when it comes to practicality and like the workforce. And still when you're in university, there's this push for academics, academics. Um, but now you're the, you're the feminist resident at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. Just for the um, listeners that don't know what the Queen Victoria Women's Centre is, do you want to explain to us, um, yeah, what that, what that is and what they aim to do? Yeah, so um, the Queen Victoria Women's Centre is in the centre of the city. Like, you've probably walked past this beautiful old building. In um, It's uh, in QV, um, like the shopping centre, and then there's this, like, old historical building um, on the other side of the grass. Um, and it houses a, a bunch of women's organisations um, and it also um, puts on, and it's kind of like a creative hub in a way, um, there is an awesome um, Queen Vic Women's Centre shop that houses um, a lot of work um, from women and gender diverse people um, from across the state and makers. Um, so I encourage you all to check it out if you're ever going past. But they um, have a bunch of different, um, I guess, creative spaces and endeavours um, and yeah, they uh, now have a feminist in residence project. Um, and so because I'm the first, uh, <laughs> I guess the idea behind the project was uh, to basically embed um, someone in the organisation and give them some space and freedom um, to run a project that was in line with some of the um, Queen Vic Women's Centre's values. Um, and so I guess make a fuss is what which is my project, has come out of that time and space. It isn't exactly what I started with. Uh, I had an idea for a much more participatory, mm. in-person workshop project, but obviously with COVID, a lot of that has changed. And um, But I'm really happy with what I have. Uh, so I guess Make a Fuss is, it's all about craftivism. Um, and it's all about getting women and gender diverse people to craft their voice and to think about something that they have been silent about and they don't want to be silent about anymore. Yeah. I think a lot of the, a lot of the motivation for doing this project at this particular moment in time has come from the time that we're living in and that is I've been thinking a lot about Black Lives Matter, um, Indigenous deaths in custody. I think the legal profession itself has also had this kind of me too moment um, with the sexual harassment allegations that have come out against um, a former High Court judge um, and one of the common threads that I see through uh, a lot of those movements um, or issues is that they're not new news and a lot of the women that came out um, and spoke out about the sexual harassment in the law were saying, you know, it's been an open secret. Um, the rates of Indigenous deaths in custody isn't news, we know. Um, and so I've just been thinking a lot about silence uh, and why is we stay silent 
Um, and uh, I guess I, I myself find that often when I'm in predominantly white male spaces, I have to constantly do the mental calculus of when to speak up and when to make a fuss. Um, and that's something that I'm managing every day, uh, just being a, a woman in the world. <laughs> mm, yeah, definitely. And there's, I feel like there's come into question a lot of like, you know, is it performative allyship, especially with the Black Lives Matter stuff, or is it, is this actually like, like change? Like, is this actually the start of something to change? Um, but on the on the topic of your project, make a fuss. Why did you choose um, craft as your center, as your centered like thing for people to submit craft work? Yeah. So I think um, I love creating things. Um, it's definitely something that has been present all of my life. Um, I think there's this really sad time, though, in teenagehood or in, you know, when you're growing up that you're really told that you either have to, like, make, make great pieces of artwork or kind of, like, forget about it. Um, Whereas my creative journey in a way has been much more about like, I just want to play with polymer clay and I just want to make earrings or I just want to play with watercolour and that's something that I find really soothing and something that I really enjoy doing and um, that's why I want to do it. And I'm not trying to create a great, great piece of artwork. Um, but uh, I think there's something meaningful in that. And I think... I think of craft in this like traditional, I, I think a lot of people think of craft in this traditional sense, like this idea of like women sitting in the corner and like it's women's work and cross stitch and needlework and all of that kind of stuff has been, quilting has been diminished and diminished and diminished because it's just something that women do on the side. But I see this incredible power and this like creative energy and spirit. Um, and I think craftivism itself this idea of blending craft and activism um is something that is just really cool and exciting um and it's about making the personal political and it's about i guess living your values in the things that you make and create and so i guess i wanted to create a space for women um, and gender diverse people to do that too in whatever form they wanted. So I wanted to leave it really open as well. So um, I want to receive submissions that are collages or drawings or poetry, um, something that you've sewed, a potato print that you've done. Um, I'm really open to it kind of being limitless in a way because um, I guess I love crafting in a lot of different mediums um, and I really just want this to be about sitting down and reflecting about silence and that feeling in your stomach that doesn't sit right with you um, and then just putting something on the page and not putting the pressure on yourself for it to be a great masterpiece but just to be an expression of your voice. Yeah, definitely. I think there's something deeply therapeutic about craft work and there's definitely some like a huge resurgence, especially now that everyone's locked down again. I think it's the perfect opportunity to kind of sit and even if it's something rep bleh, rep repetitive, right? <laughs> um, yes. then it's um, constructive in itself. Um, but you kind of already answered this question, but um, I might uh, ask it anyway. So what do you hope people, I guess, get out of the Make a Fuss uh, 
project or what, what do you help even when, if people are viewing the make a fuss project, do you hope they would get out of it? Um, I think that, oh, well, I think there's something in the crafting itself. Um, but I think that I'm just so excited um, to eventually, when we can be, um, be in a space where you're kind of overwhelmed by all of these voices. Um, there, some people have already submitted things, which is so exciting. Um, and I think with, with each one of them, I feel so strongly that I can feel that person's voice um but also it's so relatable um I think that's the thing about this idea of silence is that actually there's a million things that we've all been silent about um, and it's just about which one are you going to pick um, and when you see your experience represented in you know someone else's voice there's power in that too um, so I wanted to create a space for women to create but also I guess think about stories and um, yeah, see themselves reflected in others as well. Um, yeah. It's going to be, um, there's going to be an online um, exhibition um, during COVID times and then there will be a physical exhibition at the Queen Vic Women's Centre, um, something that was really important for me because I'm from country Victoria but also I work in um, the outer western suburbs was that I wanted to make the exhibition mobile um, because I think a lot of art, is really CBD centric um, and I think that that's a real shame um, and even with who I'm trying to pitch this project to or who I'm trying to reach is I really want to capture so many women's voices not just the usual suspects um, and so the idea with that guest making it mobile was um, to get a craftivist caravan um, and to take it to places so it could be in sunshine for a day um, or, or wherever um, and then people could interact with it in those neighbourhoods and then also create something on their day if they wanted to um, to submit to the collection. Um, I guess COVID dependent. <laughs> As everything, everything. yeah <laughs> yeah I love I love that idea of like connection I feel like it's so relevant obviously now with um the Black Lives Matter campaigns and I guess all the stuff on social media this idea of like collective struggle and this um strength in numbers is really powerful and uh yeah I think that's Sounds really exciting. Um, now, la this is our last question. Sorry, we've got to wrap it up, but you're so lovely to talk to, Kay. This is really interesting. Um, so tell us how people can submit their work and what they can submit and, yeah, where they can submit it to. So the best place to go for all of the information is... Um, the Queen Vic Women's Centre website. Um, there is a feminist in resident portion of the page. Um, they have Facebook and Instagram um, as well. And so if you check out their socials, um, they're advertising the project a lot. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Kate the Feminist um, and you can learn about the project there. Uh, the other thing that I would love for people to do is I really wanted to have something physical um, because I think I'm getting so sick of being on my computer. Um, so I have printed out these really beautiful postcards. Um, and so on the website, you can uh, send sign up, 
oh, sorry, you can um, input a friend's details um, to send a postcard to them. So I will fill that in and send them to them. And it's kind of an invitation to the project um, from you to them. Because I know so many people in my life are in craft circles and that kind of thing. So I wanted a way, um, I guess, to engage some of that energy. But I also love snail mail. And I wanted people to, I guess, have a piece of me on their fridges as well. Um, yeah, so I guess in terms of submitting pieces of work, you can either send um, a piece of work to the Queen Vic Women Centre and the details are on the website, or you can upload, if it's something that you want to keep, um, you can upload a picture of it uh, online um, and we will get those printed. We're also planning to have some collection points and days um, because postage is really expensive um, and so that's not a possibility for everyone but you, we will advertise that on the website um, so you can get more details on there closer to those dates. Yeah awesome we can put some of those links on the website as well. Um, that would be it's great. been such a pleasure thank you so much Kate for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. To find out more information about where to submit your work for Kate's project Make a Fuss go to the Queen Victoria Women's Centre website. So that's qvwc.org.au slash make dash a dash fuss. And the contributions will be closing on the 19th of August. Hello, my name's Nick. I present a show on 3CR on Sundays at 2pm called In Psychedelia, where we focus on drug culture, drug policy uh, and drug issues. It's been a bit of a strange time because I uh, also work in the harm reduction sector, specifically going to festivals and parties. So all of our work quickly dried up with COVID-19. But one of the questions that I suppose the festival community in particular has been asking is how do we remain connected? Because it is a community. And I think that's the, the first reason that people come to these events. The music is there, the art is there, all of these things are aspects to it. But it's really about the people who are coming and bringing those things and sharing those things. And I've seen some innovation online. And I think that's something that I hope to see more of more use of innovative technological solutions to connect community, to help creatives reach wider audiences and really build something together. I hope that you're finding ways to remain connected to your community during these odd times. 3CR is a good way to do it. So keep listening.